You know how earlier this year, Heaven Hill workers went on a six-week strike against their employer, which is one of the largest bourbon distilleries in Kentucky and therefore the world? Well, about two and a half hours to the south, across the Tennessee state line, workers at a smaller whiskey distillery with a very big corporate overlord took notice. Here's the deal. Welcome to the Fingers Podcast. I'm your Fearless Fingers editor, Dave Infante. Today, I've got an interview with Dylan Lancaster, tour guide and organizer at Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery in Nashville, Tennessee. Last week, Dylan and around 35 of his co-workers went public with a union drive at their workplace, a historic Nashville whiskey maker that in 2019 was acquired by Constellation Brands, the major beverage conglomerate behind brands like Corona, Mondavi, Casa Noble, and many more. The Nelson's Greenbrier employees' grievances are pretty familiar. Low pay, bad working conditions, and little access to affordable health care. But the way they've decided to address them, by forming a union with the United Food and Commercial Workers, is less so in Tennessee, a right-to-work state with one of the lowest labor union densities in the country. Not only are we fighting against a giant, multi-billion dollar corporation, but we're also doing it within the state that is not kind to unions or workers more broadly, Lancaster told the Fingers podcast. It's a bit of a David versus Goliath situation, he said. In our interview, conducted on December 13th, 2021, Dylan and I discussed why he and his colleagues decided to form the United Distillery Workers of Tennessee. They believe it's the first distillery union in the volunteer state and they're petitioning Constellation to voluntarily recognize the union. We got into the challenges of organizing quietly in a small shop, the perils of the American healthcare system for rank-and-file workers, and how the union is hoping for good-faith treatment from their booze-biz bosses, while also bracing for the union-busting campaign that may or may not come. I should take a moment to note here that neither Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery nor Constellation Brands replied to Finger's request for comment before publication. In our interview, Dylan also told me that part of their inspiration for the drive was seeing Heaven Hill's workers, who are represented by the same union, UFCW, strike their bosses over health care and overtime provisions in Bardstown. Comparing the conditions and wages across state lines convinced Nelson's Greenbrier workers that collective bargaining was the way to go. They were hiring people off the street for $21.50 an hour, when our lead bottler is making just under $20, Dylan told me, comparing the wages Heaven Hill offered scabs to those that his colleagues earned at Nelson's Greenbrier. Those are things we definitely took into account. Without further ado, here's the Fingers Podcast with Dylan Lancaster, worker and organizer at Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, Dylan Lancaster, welcome to the Fingers Podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm well. I'm coming at you from Charleston, South Carolina. Where uh, where are you joining us from today, Dylan? Nashville, Tennessee. For those who aren't paying attention to the Tennessee whiskey industry, I mean, they really should be because it's a very interesting business, but for those who haven't been over the course of the past weekend, you and your, your colleagues made a little bit of news. Tell us what's going on down in Nashville. 
Yeah. So I work at Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery in Nashville, who produce Bellmead Bourbon and Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. Me and a majority of my coworkers got together and we are in the process of forming a union with the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1995. And on Friday, we filed for recognition with our corporate parent company, Constellation Brands, who owns Nelson's Nelson Greenbrier. So we made a bit of a splash on Friday. So it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, as someone who's organized in the past, the the day you go public is kind of one of the most, the brightest spots in the entire campaign. I hope you guys felt a lot of energy from it. What was the reception like in the community? Did you guys get a lot of sort of inbound celebration on social media? Yeah, we actually had a pretty fantastic launch day. Morale was very high at the distillery. Some of my coworkers joked that they've never seen me interact with uh, customers quite enthusiastically in a long time. <laughs> and uh, on, on social media, we had a, an action network campaign that went live as soon as we filed. And we did that in collaboration with the Central Labor Council of Middle Tennessee, who have a pretty extensive email list. I think something like 6,000 people went out live to all of their followers. And then we had a social media push as well on our social medias. And as of the recording of this particular podcast, I think we're somewhere in the ballpark of 8,000 emails sent to higher ups within Constellation, the CEO, the executive board of directors, all the way down to our direct supervisors at the distillery. And to be clear, what you're talking about is you're asking people to sign a petition that's calling on Constellation brands to voluntarily recognize your union. For a lot of my listeners will understand how this process works, but for the ones who don't, I'd like to just unpack this for a moment to lay out what the process is in an ideal scenario, and then what the process might be if if the company decides not to recognize your federal right to organize. So the best case scenario is Constellation Brands wakes up tomorrow and says, you know what, these these workers at Nelson's Greenbrier have the right to organize. We respect that they've made a decision here, and we're going to voluntarily recognize the union, and we're going to meet them at the bargaining table. That's totally available to the corporation, and some companies do actually take that route. It's kind of few and far between, but it does happen on occasion, right? If they choose not to voluntarily recognize the union, what's your understanding of what happens at that point, Dylan? Then they are going to take it to an election. All we need to win the election is a simple majority of 50% plus one vote. So in between the day that we filed, which was Friday, the 10th of December, and whenever the election will happen, which is some sometime within the next 40 days, I believe, the company is going to try to single out people and try to get votes to beat us at the election, which is when typically union busters are hired in outside firms to help sway workers who have signed authorization cards into voting against the union. Sure. Which is what we saw some of the folks at Starbucks fell victim to, but there was actually one branch that did organize, which was very exciting. So solidarity to the Starbucks workers. But you might know better than I, but I think there was two other stores that voted on the same day and lost their elections. Yeah. So we're talking about the Starbucks uh, union elections that went down in the greater Buffalo area the second week of December. We're recording this at the beginning of the third week of December, I guess. Right after the news broke, once the votes came in and were counted, one store won their vote outright. Uh, It was like 17 to 9. It wasn't even very close. Another store lost their vote almost certainly outright, although there will be some challenges there. We'll see what happens with the challenge ballots. It doesn't look like there's enough for a margin, but you know, we'll see what happens as the dust settles. And then the third, the third is very murky. The third sounds like they're it's within the margin of error on challenge ballots. And 
that'll be a, a typically sort of gnarly, you know, hand-to-hand combat fight between the union and their lawyers and Starbucks and their lawyers. And that'll be before the National Labor Relations Board. That'll kind of get sorted out. Not quickly, unfortunately. Those tend to take some time. But your point is well taken, which is that there's there's activity and a lot of labor momentum, not just at the big firms. Obviously, we're, we're recording this while Kellogg's workers have decided to stay out on strike after refusing what I think was a third contract from the company. And, you know, John Deere just came in off the strike having won historic gains. Um, so there's an enormous amount of, of labor momentum at major firms with entrenched unions, but there's also momentum at shops like small individual Starbucks shops or like your distillery in Nashville, Tennessee, where traditionally you're not seeing as much labor activity, uh, labor organizing in the past. But over the course of the past, you know, 18 months or so, as the pandemic has swept through that workforce um, and sort of given everyone a better sense for just how precarious this life is or this work is, we're starting to see a lot more organizing and you guys are a part of it, which is very exciting. Let's talk a little bit of the um, nuts and bolts here. So how big is the, how big is the unit that you guys have organized down there? It's a pretty small operation. I think there's some something in the ballpark of 35 to 36 eligible workers to join the union and 80% of them have signed authorization cards. Mm-hmm. So, we, Which is an overwhelming majority. Yeah, you only need a third <laughs> yeah. to file. Right. So we did our due diligence there. Frankly, it was pretty easy conversations with these folks. People were pretty down and ready to join up and to try and work together to increase wages, benefits. We have been, as a lot of places have, been short on staff. And so there's been a lot of burnout, a lot of pretty long weeks, and not a lot of breathing room in, in between shifts. So That's something that has been wearing on a lot of these workers as well. Something that's unique about this particular struggle is we could be the first unionized distillery in the state of Tennessee. And as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, Tennessee is a right to work state and they have probably the most Akronian labor laws in the U.S., at least up there. They have to be one of the worst on labor. Um, So not only are we fighting a giant multi-billion dollar corporation, but we're also doing it within a state that is not kind to unions or to workers more broadly. So it's a bit of a David versus Goliath situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, remember that I'm recording this podcast from South Carolina, which may be one of the few states that's as adversarial towards labor as Tennessee, certainly, you know, another right to work state here in South Carolina, but that's a race that you don't want to win. So whoever, I don't know which state is worse, but they're both pretty bad. And I'm curious to know, I mean, as a right to work state and, you know, being in the South, which traditionally has really, you know, unions have really struggled to to crack uh, uh, industry in the Southeast. What was your experience with unions and what were, can you characterize sort of some of your coworkers experience or education around unions before you began this process? I mean, how much, how much did you know what you were getting into before, uh, before starting this? Well, personally, I actually grew up in Michigan. So I come from a pretty, you know, strong labor state, pro-labor state. But, you know, no one in my family actually ever worked for a union. I've never worked for a union. And it wasn't until I moved to Nashville and got involved with the Democratic Socialists of America and started doing organizing through them and learning more about unions and becoming friends with union organizers. I learned a little bit more of the, like you said, the nuts and bolts. And the conversations that I had with a lot of my coworkers, there was a lot of mystification around unions and what they do. So I had to really study up to 
answer a lot of those questions. And yeah, I was I was pretty surprised. People just didn't know generally what unions did. Um, and it wasn't until after we had those conversations that it just kind of clicked and they're like, yeah, it seems pretty obvious. Why would we not do this? Totally. I remember when I was first beginning to, to do labor organizing and, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, so there's some union presence certainly in New Jersey, but I wasn't exposed to it as a, as a kid either. I didn't come from a union family or anything. So when I first started labor organizing, I had a similar experience, which is like, I felt like I was like unlearning a lot of what I learned in like school from like the history books. Like you learn about like the Haymarket Square riot and then like nothing else about labor until maybe some like social studies class like covers like Reagan breaking the Patco strike with National Guard troops in the in the early 80s, right? But like there's there's very little labor history and it's made to feel kind of like ancient history as though like, oh, you don't, you know, unions aren't relevant anymore. No one's working in factories anymore. So it's not necessary, you know? Yeah. And, and certainly as, as I'm, I suspect your, your co- you and your colleagues might say, that's not actually the case. Whether you're a white collar laborer or you're a blue collar laborer or somewhere in between, if you're selling your labor, you are the working class and unions, at least in theory, can provide you benefits that the bosses aren't going to provide willingly. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of deprogramming needs to happen. So tell me how this thing came together. I mean, it sounds like there was some agitation amongst your coworkers, amongst that 35, 36 person unit that you guys have sort of identified. What are some of the major grievances or some of the major pain points that you guys organized around as you were putting together this drive? So during the beginning of the pandemic, they actually paid the front of house workers to shelter at home. So they bumped up our hourly rate because a lot of our income is is tipped. Front of house receives tips from the people coming into the distillery. I, for clarification, I also, I'm a tour guide. So I'm the person that's going over production, the history of our distillery and doing guided tastings. And before the pandemic, walking people through the facility and kind of explaining how everything works. And those workers, the front of house, if you will, the hospitality workers were sent home and paid a little bit more to make up for the lack of tips that they were getting. About three months, four months, maybe they brought us back before vaccines and everyone's hourly rate went down to what it was before the pandemic. That was a big sticking point for a lot of folks. The company proved that it could pay us more, but then decided when the rubber meets the road and we actually need to come back that they were not willing to do that. And yeah, I can't imagine I can't imagine that was very popular. <laughs> no, not at all. And a lot of the people that were coming to the distillery before the pandemic or sorry, before vaccines rather, were not the most, you know, thoughtful in terms of wearing masks, social distancing, sure. being respectful of the health and safety of us. We got a lot of people that were getting mad uh, about wearing masks, getting adversarial, people who were getting mad at us that we weren't taking them in the barrel warehouse on the production floor, showing them the still. So it actually made our job harder and we're getting paid less because surprise, surprise, those types of people are not the best tippers in the world. Funny how that, yeah, that Venn diagram is basically a circle probably. Yeah. <laughs> so we brought these grievances to Constellation, to our direct managers, to HR, and nothing changed. We got a minor raise, but definitely not enough to offset any of these, these problems. Mm-hmm. Constellation, like I've said previously, is a... 30 to $40 billion corporation, if I'm not mistaken. It's a big, it's a big guy. Yeah. Their executive board of directors, uh, the Sands brothers are worth almost 4 billion each. So this is a company that actually absolutely can provide for these workers. Meanwhile, in the face of being, uh, told they can't give us raises, they are doing a 
10 to $15 million build out on our distillery. And as of last week, it was announced that Constellation is also spending $1.3 billion to build a new brewery in Mexico. Right. So where's that money going? It seems like there's a pretty large flow of money going somewhere, but it's not going into the pockets of the people who are producing the products and who are creating those profits for that multinational, multi-billion dollar corporation. And of course, I mean, you know, I, I, I have not, Constellation hasn't returned, at least at the point that we're recording this, hasn't returned my request for comment. But typically, I've reported on enough of these, this type of drive where typically what the corporation is going to say in return is, well, these things are budgeted differently. Like, uh, you know, this is earmarked for capital expenditures, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of obfuscation that goes on with the way, you know, money gets sort of moved throughout a corporation. But to your point, if keeping labor, you know, skilled labor happy was a priority, like the corporation could theoretically do that, right? There's, they're not, they're not down to their last dollar in other words. No. So that was, so that was a big point uh, of organizing. And it also sounds like sort of some of the pandemic working conditions were themselves a, a point of friction that you guys organized around. Were there, were there others like healthcare, um, um, any, any other like major components? Yeah, so the only workers that are offered or can buy into the healthcare that the corporation provides is if they become full-time. So I mentioned that we had a huge labor shortage and all of the part-time people were working full-time hours but not receiving healthcare. And I was offered a full-time position, which I took, which did not come with a pay raise. And the company only pays for 50% of our healthcare. So effectively, I'm actually making less money as a full-time employee than I was as a part-time person because 50% of my healthcare is coming out of my my paycheck. And that's something that's a grievance that I expressed to both HR, corporate HR, and my direct supervisors. And I just kind of got a shrug of the shoulders. Yeah. And I know that for a lot of my other coworkers who are part time, they would like to have healthcare, especially during a global pandemic. Pretty understandable, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the healthcare that they do provide, ironically, the plan that I'm on is called the bind plan, which if you ask me is a little <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, that uh, yeah, right. That's like something if you filed a novel with like that detail in it, your editor would kick it back because it's just like a little right. little too obvious. Yeah, the, the metaphor is a little too a uh, little too straight away there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm obviously speaking from a front of house perspective, but the bottlers during the entire pandemic, they were there crushing all of their quotas, breaking records, and doing all that stuff, and not once were they able to stay home some of who were immunocompromised, some of whom have issues and they need that healthcare. I have one of my coworkers is diabetic and they need that healthcare to afford insulin. Without it, they would be absolutely screwed. As we know, the healthcare system in the United States is absolutely absurd. So there are grievances there. Our distillers are getting paid way below the industry standards. When I started looking into the UFCW, I discovered, well, part of the reason I should back up, Part of the reason we started working with the UFCW is because our colleagues in Heaven Hill Distillery up in Bardstown went on strike starting in September. And some of their grievances were similar. They were doing forced overtime. They were getting healthcare benefits cut during the pandemic. And Heaven Hill just spent multi, uh, or they just had a multi-million dollar build out of their visitor center. Yeah, it was like a $19 million expansion of their visitor center, which by all accounts is gorgeous. I've seen the photos of it. It looks incredible. <laughs> yeah, I've been up there too. It is it is stunning. But the that's a very similar situation to where we found ourselves in. And we're like, well, they're on strike and we're not. So during that strike, I went onto their website to see what they were hiring their bottling line, who were 
on strike and they were hiring people off the street, twenty one fifty an hour, when our lead bottler is making just under twenty. Wow. Yeah, no one on that bottling line is making twenty dollars an hour. Yeah. And Bardstown, Kentucky is a beautiful place to live, but it has a much lower cost of living than it does for a city like Nashville, where we are. So those are things that we definitely took into account. And digging more into UFCW, we realized they they represent Four Roses, Buffalo Trace. Ironically, they represent MGP, which is the contract distillery that sources Bellmead bourbon for Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. Mm -hmm. So we started looking into what those folks were getting paid, and they're getting paid quite a bit higher than we are living in you know smaller towns outside of places like Louisville. So that was another sticking point for workers, seeing their colleagues getting paid astronomically higher wages. And the common denominator was the fact that they were represented by a union. It doesn't take a genius, and I'm not saying that you guys aren't, but it doesn't take a genius to kind of look over it. You know, they're doing similar work. They're getting paid a lot more. Why aren't we getting paid more? And and so you guys got in touch with UFCW to see, you know, can we can we put together the infrastructure in these other firms have in place, these other workers have in place to be able to bargain collectively and develop, you know, get that leverage over our company that they have to, to up our pay, to up our quality of life, to up our... Uh, healthcare benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. How's, uh, so we talked a little bit about the reception from the community, talked about the reception that you guys saw on social media. got all those uh, emails that have been sent to Constellation Brands, which I think they acquired the majority stake of Nelson's Greenbrier in 2019. Is that right? I believe so. What has the reception been like within the distillery itself? I mean, you guys still operate you know, Constellation doesn't have executives in the distillery or anything. It's still a, a, a distillery team that's local to Nashville. What was the reception like locally at the actual shop? Yeah. So like I said, the workers have been very ecstatic. We are super pumped. Management, not so much. It was a pretty historic blindside because it is a very small facility, very close-knit group of people. And we were able to get all those cards signed and file and without anyone really finding out in management. And I think based on what they've said to us or what little they've said to us, they feel hurt and they think that this is about them. And I just want to go on the record as saying it is not. It is about our compensation through Constellation. And we have no bad blood or ill will of the supervisors and some of the managers that work at the distillery. And I just want the record to reflect that. Yeah. Some people are taking it very personally and it's not about them. It's about the workers and it's about our grievances with Constellation. Sure. Yeah. But most of them have kept pretty hands off. Like you said, there's not any one from Constellation that is at the facility. I think after my direct supervisor, the next person that I would report to is like the vice president of hospitality for fine wine and and spirits. And they live in Utah. (laughs) Right. So yeah, there's a pretty big jump there in terms of uh, the, uh, the ladder of management. What's the, what's your hope for, I mean, are you, obviously everyone goes into this with the best intentions and is hoping for voluntary recognition. How likely do you think that is in this case, Dylan? Well, as far as I understand, I think the company has till right before Christmas to recognize us. And that's another thing. A lot of these supervisors, managers just keep saying that their doors open, that they're listening and that they want to support us and make it right. And I just want to say to them, the one way to make it right is to recognize the union. So I'm hopeful you know, you plan for the worst, expect the best or vice versa. I think I've probably switched that around. But I know that there has been at least one union busting firm that has cold called the distillery since Friday. (laughs) 
like an ambulance chaser, but for union busting? Yeah, they. I have I have their website pulled up right here. It's Midwest Management Consultant Incorporated. Oh God. It's always the ones that have like the most boring names that turned out to be the evilest, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so we'll see what happens. I hope that Constellation will come to the negotiating table in good faith. But, you know, like I've said previously, we're prepared to uh, to fight and I have every confidence that we will win an election if it comes to that. Now, let me ask you a question, Dylan. Again, like I've done some organizing before and, you know, if they choose not to voluntarily recognize... Typically, you know, we don't know what Constellation will do, and I can't say that I, I know what they're thinking. I know typically what happens when companies decide to fight a union. You're going to see captive audience meetings where they get all the workers together and talk about how bad of an idea this is. And, you know, they're going to say that it's going to insert a third party in between us and our and our workers. We're not going to have the great relationship anymore. There's a, there's a union busting playbook, in other words. And anyone who's covered this, covered the labor movement for any amount of time or participated in it is very familiar with it. It's remarkably similar no matter what company is doing the union busting. What's your, you know, are you guys thinking about how to, you know, prepare your your fellow coworkers? How are you guys talking about how to be prepared for that? Yeah, the playbook is is well known, pretty uh well worn out. We have been doing meetings and talking about what to expect. We've also been very good about doing one-on-ones with one another, checking in, making sure that people are doing okay and how they feel about what we're doing and going forward and so far, like I said, you know, morale is very high. People are very fired up and we know everything that they're going to possibly throw at us. And everyone's been prepared for the captive audience meetings, for all the lines about how the union's bad, actually, the union's greedy, the union's going to take your dues. You know, they're probably going to try and find all the members of the local and find their salaries and try to tell us that, you know, well, they're just greedy. They're taking your dues which is ironic coming from a company that is, uh, you know, run by multi-billionaires. Sure. So our, there's been a lot of inoculation before we even got cards signed, which was basically just workers realizing their material conditions and trying to find a way to change them. Like I said, I feel very confident. It's, it's a well-worn playbook, and I don't think it's going to work out for the corporation here at this particular shop. I want to talk a little bit about sort of, you know, sweeping out. You mentioned at the, the beginning of this episode that if, let's say, when you guys are successful in winning your union, that would make you, Nelson's Greenbrier, the first unionized workforce in any Tennessee distillery. What's the significance of that to you? I mean, obviously, being first is is exciting and, and you know, it's important. But to you personally, and maybe to generalize to some of your coworkers, like, how are you guys thinking about the moment that you're in and, and its importance? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge driving force. And the, the reason it's so significant is, like I said, being in a state that is not very kind to workers, not very kind to unions, we're hoping that if we're successful here, or when we're successful here, I should say, that we are going to open the door for other workers for, you know, people to have a higher standard of living in a state that actually has a pretty high standard of living as it is, Nashville in particular. So I think it's pretty cool to be on the forefront, but ultimately we just want everyone to have the ability to collectively bargain with their coworkers and have a uh, stronger, better paid workforce. And like I said, it's very exciting to be on the forefront of that. 
What uh, what can customers do right now, people who want to support? Right now, you are not calling for a boycott of any products of Nelson's Greenbrier, what you guys produce there. What are you calling on customers and supporters to do to show their support for, for your drive? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we're not calling for a strike or boycott or anything like that. And something that I also want to reiterate is we're not trying to be adversarial with the company. We are just asking them to bargain in good faith. We are asking them to voluntarily recognize this union. And in order for us to have a voice, we have the fortune of speaking to people like you, talking to local press and, and trying to garner public support to help the company realize that recognition is the, is the best thing for the workers and the best thing for the company. But we're calling on customers, supporters, and folks to send emails through our Action Network campaign. You can send an email to the higher ups at Constellation politely asking them to voluntarily recognize the union of Nelson's Greenbrier. And that's probably the most important thing you can do at this step. Dylan, anything else you want to add about the drive? I mean, it's obviously very exciting for you guys. You've got a, a rare day off and thank you for taking time to, to speak with me on your day off. What are you going to go do with the rest of your day off now that now that you're done? Are you got more press lined up or are you going to relax a little bit and get recharged for the drive? Well, I'm hoping to get some more press. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we have a couple other things lined up. Nothing today. I'm just going to try to try to relax a little bit. But also just keep checking in with the coworkers. I've been texting a lot of people who are on site today and trying to get a general vibe for what's going on there, you know, because even though I do thankfully have a day off, I am desperately trying to check in to make sure that everyone's ready to go and just kind of see where their head's at in terms of what comes next from Constellation. I do know I was told that all of the managers and supervisors are offsite today for a last minute training. <laughs> so I can only imagine what that's about. So uh, just trying to stay ahead of the uh, head of the curve here on, on what's coming next. Okay, well, best of luck with it. And congratulations again on, on going public with the drive and you know having a successful launch day, all those petitions that, that rolled into Constellation. And, and thanks again for joining the Fingers podcast. It was great chatting with you and, and best of luck to you and your coworkers as you prepare for whatever comes next from, uh, from management at Nelson's Greenbrier and, and Constellation. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me and thanks for helping amplify the cause. Solidarity forever. was the Fingers interview with Dylan Lancaster. He's a worker and organizer at Nelson's Green Briar Distillery in Nashville, Tennessee. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. If you want to hear more about Dylan and his co-workers in their efforts to unionize at Nelson's Green Briar, you can follow them on Twitter at UDW of TN or on Instagram at United Distillery Workers TN. They also have a petition on the Action Network calling on Constellation to voluntarily recognize them. You can find that at bit.ly forward slash NGBD union. Those will all be linked in the story on fingers.substack.com. One more thanks to Dylan and one more thanks to you, members of the Fingers fam. If you enjoyed this episode of the Fingers podcast and you haven't yet bought a subscription, please consider doing so. I need your financial support to continue producing independent coverage of drinking in America. Hope you'll consider it. Signing off from the Fingers Studio here in Charleston, South Carolina, it's your fearless Fingers editor, Dave Infante, reminding you, 
That information is power, whether you work in a distillery or literally anywhere else. Bye-bye.